Music by Lalo Schifrin from the soundtrack to the Steve McQueen movie Bullet. When I was a kid, I absolutely loved film and TV scores, especially from the 60s and 70s, like Elmer Bernstein's Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape, and John Williams' theme to Land of the Giants, and cop shows like Columbo and The Streets of San Francisco, and Quincy Jones' Ironside. It's interesting how crime drama music these days is often more low-level kind of intense. The energy seemed higher back then. Anyway, there I was, this little pipsqueak in Wolverhampton, feeling very cool just by listening to this stuff, and it kind of went into my bones. Horns, bass flutes, funky basses, guitars and rhythms, sumptuous pads of strings, my cup of tea. I didn't realise how deep these musical influences were until I started writing scores for documentary and wildlife TV myself. It's fascinating work, creating not just arresting themes but incidental music too, sometimes so subtle as to be barely perceptible, but always creating a mood or emotion or suggesting character, action or location, or all the above, and creating cohesion in the whole score. It's also about teamwork with producers and directors, as my guest, David Paul, knows very well. He's one of Britain's best and best-known wildlife screen composers, and he's been in the game for a long time now. If you live in the UK, you'll have heard his famous theme to Springwatch, featuring our much-missed friend, the wonderful violinist Stuart Gordon. And here's another gorgeous piece of David's, with Stuart playing on it. I was excited to talk to David about the craft and life of a screen composer. We recorded on Zoom, but then had terrible technical problems and then some COVID. So he was super kind to record another conversation, this time in person at his writing studio in central Bristol. But before we get going, I want to share something he excels at in a piece called Beauty of the River. It has the effect of slowing your breathing and making you kind of sink and float at the same time. How clever is that? And how gorgeous is this? Thank you for doing this again. Yeah. 
You are welcome. Post-COVID. We won't go into that. <laughs> See, post-COVID Zoom fail. <laughs> yeah. So um, to begin then, could you tell us a bit about your musical beginnings? Were you a musical little kiddie? Sure. I was at uh, Wells Cathedral School from the age of seven and Wells is renowned for having a, um, a pretty strong Amazing sort of music. Choir, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the cathedral choir, I was sort of pushed into to kind of get the scholarships so that it helped a bit with school fees. So oh. yeah, from the age of um, nine, in the cathedral choir um, and that was amazing but the school itself had a, an amazing musical mm. section to mm. it so I was in the orchestra percussion but yeah. I did push to want to play the drum kit as well so I was able to learn um, private lessons and get some some kit training I'd had percussion and snare drum training before that but, oh. but it was the kit that I really wanted to do so, so I learned the piano but I wouldn't say I'm a performer I learned it enough to be able to write with yeah. it and to play things from my head with it. So he has but, kind of a classical background. So yeah. composers that have influenced you or do influence you, or do you have that? I suppose in my subconscious, based around classical music, yeah. because of that upbringing, and my dad was very much into listening to everything, and he was very musical in his knowledge. And my mum was a singer and a pianist, and my grandmother was a pianist as well. So Debussy was a big one for me. Rachmaninoff ah, was a huge one for me. Lovely. And um, I think because my grandmother was a big player of Debussy's music, they definitely went in and stuck. Right. Not that I could ever play them, but I definitely held on to the sort of memories of them. Yeah, and that it has most definitely influenced Probably, you know, Chopin, so Messiaen. Quite, quite, quite piano-y. Uh, yeah, actually, I think piano definitely was nice. a, a big influence on, on me. So whenever I get the chance to write anything with a piano, it feels great. I mean, I love writing for all solo instruments as well as orchestral. Yeah. And the choral stuff that I've written in the past, again, that comes from somewhere much deeper because of my choral yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so every every time I'm sort of writing with choral ideas... It's really nice, actually. It's it's almost like a comfortable feeling when I'm writing either for this piano or This is an or interesting thing. It's this emotional connection to yeah. what you're doing. I want to talk to you about that a bit more. But mm. uh, back to your background, and when did you become aware of how wonderful film music could be? Did you have like, oh, now you start, you noticed the, the movie music or the TV music that... It's definitely lyrical scores, a lot of the John Barry scores, yeah. you know, from the old Bond films and things. The Godfather, I obviously loved that. Oh, yeah. I don't know that necessarily I sort of had a 
big thing about film scores. Music for film came to me in a slightly different way. Oh. did a jazz course after oh. school so that I, I got away from classical music and went to whatever it wasn't, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. I could do that wasn't classical music. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I just tried something. I hear you. So I did a, a jazz course. But then after a short while, I went and did a film school course. So it was, it was a very oh. different direction, possibly influenced by my dad's work he was a film editor so it was probably oh, okay. oh. probably influenced by that just to have oh. a go in the film world so when I then got into the industry as a as a runner and they had these amazing musical instruments in this particular company that I worked for so I was able to sort of do a little bit of fiddling around with music as well so oh. I combined the film and music that way rather than me thinking from an early age oh I'd love to write film music yeah so it, I came in through the side door a bit yeah. and and yeah, so, you know, I do enjoy listening to Thomas Newman's scores. Oh, yeah. I think they're beautiful. Um, yes, there are some Hans Zimmer scores which are <laughs> incredibly clever. His use of musicality in film is clever. And obviously John Williams is the god, the godfather of all film music. So yes, yes. I, I just list, love listening to all those things. Oh, what was your first job then? What, so you, was it sort of... First job as a composer? Yeah, yeah. I was working as a sound designer sound editor here in Bristol and I had been given a film to put some sound on but there were little bits of music in this particular film but there were a few gaps in where they needed music Mm -hmm. so the director or producer had said to me is there anything I can do on this couple of sections here which sounds more like music than sound design because I was working on a machine at the time which was a sampler when digital sound was coming into to film For anyone who might not know what a sampler is, it's a machine that captures samples of sound, which could be electronically produced noises or recorded real sounds like violins, drums or voices, or indeed clips of finished pieces of music. For example, the brilliant bass line from Good Times by Chic, used by the Sugar Hill Gang in Rapper's Delight. You can connect a sample to a key on your electronic keyboard and then play it like a note, a chord, or maybe a looped rhythm section and incorporate it into new music. When this sampling technology first became widely available, it was very exciting. But musicians were pinching clips of other people's records, left, right and centre, to incorporate into their new records. And this could lead to legal conflict about crediting the original artists and their publishers, the rights of use of their material, and of course payment. Once the law caught up a bit with the technology, the idea of legitimate use and sound libraries became more established. So now many musicians can use samples creatively and with a clear conscience. And we had this machine called a Synclavia and a director disc. And what came with the machine was a sound library, music library. And I had the chance of of using it as a musical tool and put in some string arrangements. I just made some what sounded like orchestral arrangements and little bits of chords here and there in these sequences that were missing music. But I stayed up all night doing this thing and I was so scared. And... um, yeah, it, I hadn't ever thought before then of myself as as doing anything in a film to do with music, but I was sort of put on the spot and I thought, yeah, I probably can do yeah, this. Yeah. The producer really liked those couple of pieces and said, would I be able to do anything on the next film that she had? 
it was a fairly dark film, right. so the music suited me because I actually thought I, I was more akin to writing dark <laughs> things than happy things, which was slightly ironic, seeing as how I went on to write an awful lot I of children. It's easier. Do, yeah, do you think it's yeah, easier to write I, for well, the dark probably. than write happy? Because happy can just sound. <laughs> And not be inane. I I so, did yeah. do a lot of children's music following that, but oh, okay. I, I never felt so comfortable doing that. It was always a stretch no. for me to write children's happy tunes. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. I yeah. mean, I did do them and I got some enjoyment <laughs> out of it, but it was never easy. Whereas, yeah, writing yeah. the dark emotional stuff, I yeah. think that was more me. So oh, okay. was... we can come back to this then, because <laughs> this thing about the, the, the emotional investment you have. So, first of all, if you like what the material you're working with or it, Bring something out in you, a feeling out in you. That's going to be easier to work to. Of course, isn't it? yeah. No, I mean, but, I think so, that's 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 the main reason that you sort of get emotionally into what you're doing, so that it, it can come from within you. You know, yeah, I, yeah. but it's difficult in the early part of a career. You know, you're finding your feet. I think so early on in in those and very you'll take early any days. Gig. <laughs> you kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do if, if, if it's paid and you think you're going to make uh, clients and you're going to get yourself a bit of a, a business base. Yeah. yeah, you say yes to pretty much everything. But I think a lot of things I did right at the early stage, I wasn't that comfortable with. No, but also you're finding out where you yeah. where you fit. Into you have to try things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But do you just still get asked to do music in a certain whatever? So do you, do you have a producer asking you for a certain kind of something or are you given the music, uh, the, uh, the edited footage and, and trusted to... Know what's going to go. I think the further you get through your career, the more people realise what you are able to do, and rather than them saying, "Oh, I'd like it in the style of." Yeah, I, I think when we last recorded and it all failed, I mentioned this. I was watching a drama where there was, somebody had pressed a note for sort of tension effect, and it was going on and on for several minutes mm. through this sequence. Uh, I don't know, it was a chase or something, but it was this note was just. It wasn't doing the job. It wasn't giving you the tension. You mm. should. It was. I don't know. There was something that wasn't working mm. about it. It was like somebody was just pressing a note down. Sure. And we. And I. And I remember you said something about the, the difference between well the skill and the emotional intention behind what you're doing, making this difference to whether you press down one note, an electronic mm. note, and it sounds right, and or when it doesn't sound right. And there's a di- you can tell the there difference, is. can't there's, you? There is a way. I don't really know the science behind it and the psychology behind it, yeah. but there are definitely differences between the ways you can use music minimally yeah. to, you know, using, you know, great arrangements. And, you know, I, I, I really enjoy when music is very cleverly done minimally, minimally. but Me it too. is it's, yeah. it's it is really tricky to to get that balance yeah and i know the classic example i think i've mentioned to you is brian eno you know yes. he, he he just gets something out of very few notes yeah. and very few yeah there's emotional content in his very electronic music absolutely how do you do that how i mean i met him i had the fortune to meet him probably this was back when i was at film school and it was in the early mid 80s and he had not only done his time in Roxy Music, but he was also writing his own band music and a fair bit of film music by mm. then. But he always was well known for his minimal approach. Yeah. And he said, I only ever use a, a, a Yamaha DX7. He said, that's all I have. I have nothing else. But he just seemed to get something Wonderful. out of so little. But yeah. it's beautiful to hear what he does and how yeah. he does it. And I love messing around with minimal ideas but in this day and age yes you have an awful lot of 
well-created sample libraries, which are beautifully done. And you still aren't necessarily playing an awful lot of notes and chords, but what you are doing is creating beautiful soundscapes with very well-constructed sample libraries. Two local guys in Bristol here who are Simon Ashdown and Will Slater, who create absolutely incredibly unique sample libraries. Slate and Ash. And I have to say that there are so many great ideas that come from just injecting those libraries into what I write. And I so use when them you say sound lot. library, are you talking about sort of a particular synthesizer sound or, or a They or create a sounds from all, all sorts of different mm. things. A lot of it is live music. A lot, okay. of, a lot of it is live instrumentation, bowed guitars and violins and bowed, all sorts of bowed strings. But they do create a lot of electronic strangeness as well they just they love creating sort of a lot of organic sounds that in itself is a is a a unique skill on its own and I they're both writers in in their own right and very very clever composers Mm. but I think they they sort of had this idea that it would be nice to sort of create sound worlds and Mm. soundscapes for anyone else to use exactly yeah yeah. yeah. and they're they're very clever and you know they're they're part of the ingredient and they can influence you to write all sorts of stuff you wouldn't have thought of reusing yeah, yeah. without them with something that's lovely um, so it's bringing new. something new to your yeah game. it's prodding my inspiration it's yeah, prodding my lovely. subconscious that's and that's lovely. that's the way i like to use them to, that's to, to get me to do something because i wonder about do. this limitless sound opportunities really mm. and whether you're like, where do i begin there's so much yeah. out there and i like you were saying brian you know had this one keyboard to use i know i love a parameter me like <laughs> i can see how that works but when you have limitless choice it must be you're limited by your budget, of course. Um, oh, sure, yeah. uh, and I do, over the years, I've collected a number of different libraries and palettes and so on. Um, but that's when you have to sort of start really knuckling down with the director of, of the programme or the producer, what it is that they're actually looking for. And, and a lot of the time you do end up having to narrow your vision depending on their ideas and their Temp tracks, you know, yeah. we, we, oh, we've talked sure. about oh, temp tracks, right? Which is a <laughs> yes, temp tracks. And that puts so, you in a direction. For the listener who doesn't know, an editor will often put a temporary music track over what he's cut because he has an idea of what mm-hmm. sort of thing he's looking for, or the producer is looking yeah. for, or something. Yes. So imagine, if you will, the schedule for creating a program. There's the pre-production or arranging bit, the filming. Then after that, what's called post-production, editing, music, voiceovers, adding credits, all that stuff. The editor cuts the raw filmed footage into watchable sequences that tell the story. Only when that's done and approved can it be handed to the composer. But while cutting, an editor might need to use some music to help create an appropriate mood or tempo perhaps to create a feeling of tension or a feeling of romance or whatever. So said editor might use some library music or a really famous and grand piece of music might spring to mind and they might drop that into work too. Then the producer or director might watch the sequence with this music too. Will it be useful or become an obstacle to the composer? Will the producers have formed an attachment to seeing the pictures alongside Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture or Tainted Love by Soft Cell or whatever, I've been in this position as a composer. Listen on. Then you're presented. (laughs) They now have this idea in their head. Yes. 
And it may be helpful, but it may be unhelpful to you. Can I think you... more often than not, it is helpful because it gives you a, it gives you an idea of what they're thinking about. Yeah. Sometimes the temp track has gone in there because the editor was struggling to be able to cut a sequence together. So they really needed the, the, the music that they could find off the shelf to kind of cut something together with a pace and um, a, a particular emotional direction. But it is a discussion point and it's a good starting discussion point because the producer may say, actually, that temp track is in there because it's got the right pace, but actually it doesn't really okay. have the right overall sound. Right. Or there may be ones that they really do like that. Again, where there may be a minimal piece of piano music in there and immediately you kind of know that they're looking for okay. something very So there's not always key. a conflict about this, what they've... What they've I don't think there is. I think it, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. It can really work for you, mm. um, but it can also lead you in a, in a direction you don't always want to go in. And some of the temp scores are huge Hollywood soundtracks. And well, exactly. I was just going to say, they've stuck some John yeah, Williams know, or something. That, or, that can really not help. Attack or something, and they're <laughs> so specific. Yeah. And that yeah. and that that's where it doesn't help you because it, it does sort of pinhole the pigeonhole is probably what I meant. Um, the, <laughs> the, the the thought process and they're more open to ideas, so you still have to sort of go off and come up with something different and do it in your own way. Yeah. But I I find it is useful. It gives you an idea of of also the amount of music that's needed in the film as well. If you once you've gone through the edit, you can see roughly where oh, right. where the sequences are. So it's a it's a good direction pointer. So, again, the amount of music, this is another one, isn't it? Because the production team or producer or director will start out with a schedule and a budget for creating so many minutes of music for this piece of mm. one-hour programme, mm. say. They want 35 minutes of music, and then it turns into 45, and then it turns into well, 53, and then it's just, yeah. Often the way. squeeze yeah. with your schedule and your budget. I think it really depends on the type of programme. We Certainly the last project... I worked on was a documentary about rivers, but it was largely about the people who live around those rivers as right. well and the nature around the rivers. Yeah. This particular documentary we were doing really didn't allow for too many gaps in the music because the pace would lag. So we needed to write an awful lot of music, did way they, more than did they, they needed. Did they know in advance that you would? It, only uh, uh, when they'd got to the last stages of their edit, I think. Oh, they'd, no. they'd always sort of... So you suddenly had a lot more to write yeah, and put it and, in. And it, it sort of just ended up being an awful lot more than we thought and that they thought. That's but they needed, they needed it. It is a bit, but it did need to be there. And rather than us sort of turning around and saying, no, we're only going to do a certain amount of music, oh, find no, it on library, we'd rather just complete the right. job and do yeah. it and make so, it all cohesive. round the clock. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was the case for this this last series. But yeah, I would I would rather get it right and do the hours course, and, and make yeah, it a full The pain will thing. fade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're left with a lovely thing. But it, it's different for every job. And I think, you know, I do like spaces and gaps of music in programs otherwise it just becomes so diluted oh yeah, and exactly. yeah exactly it's this thing about the relentlessness of it it mm. does it does diminish the effect i think so it? Yeah. it really does oh, the spaces between yeah. are so important <laughs> spaces between but actually the other thing i was going to say about the temp track is the other side of that coin is when people do when the editors and producers put in their music they can get so wedded to those yeah, fall in pieces love with of this, music yeah and it's so difficult to write anything that's going to replace that for them. So that's uh, also the very tricky thing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, temp, yeah, temp music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first met you, which is, again, mm, it's in the 90s, isn't it? X we years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. 
But it was still quite early in the days of sample, sampling. It was early 90s, wasn't it? Computer technology. Yeah. Computer software has democratised music making and writing enormously. So mm. anyone really can have a go. Has that made it harder for established composers to, you know, because the, the gigs are few. I mean, although we've also had more channels, but then the budgets go down because mm. there's more programmes across. Oh, it's changing times, isn't it? Changing times indeed. Since David and I first met, when most people in the UK could watch just four terrestrial channels, countless cable and digital channels have sprung up. More channels, more programmes, but most of those have much smaller budgets. And composers sometimes still get royalties for every time their music is played, but they're more often than not obliged to settle for a buyout these days, a one-off fee instead. There are opportunities for more composers, but there's not so much opportunity to make a good living. When I remember when we first started writing music, you'd have the award ceremonies and you'd see the same names coming up, you know, your Chris Gunnings or your whatever. Mm. The same names would come up on a few different things. And there was one year I suddenly, I remember going through all the nominations or, you know, suggestions for uh, nominations and there was not one repeated name. And I thought, is everyone just getting one gig a year now? <laughs> because everything spreads so thinly. So is it harder right. to, to get gigs? I think, think it probably is, yeah. to be fair. I mean, I have my relationship with certainly the BBC yeah. changed over the years. I think I was sort of relentlessly commissioned in the early part of the 90s when I'd started. And as you said, the, the way technology has advanced means that it is so much more accessible yeah. to so many more people to be able to have home studios. I don't mind that there are way more composers out there doing it, but mm. I do think there's still a cutoff point of quality of writing. And yeah. you know, no matter how many people have a go, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have got what it takes to do it. But I, I you know, I applaud anyone trying to do it. And I think I've mentioned to you that my own beginnings in this industry were because of electronics. I never wrote on manuscript for an orchestra to start with. Right. You know, I pressed keys on a keyboard and it sounded like an orchestra. Yeah, yeah. So if people can do that now and suddenly discover something within themselves, I think that is great. Yeah. And I, I, I think that anybody should be able to, to try it. Mm. But yeah, I think that actually to be able to write a score, an original sounding score, it's very tricky yeah. to do that. And yeah. I still think that there are going to be a, there's going to be a cap on who has that ability as a jobbing composer yeah. professionally so, even if there are thousands of people having a go you know that's right my relationship with bbc producers has changed over the years because they've moved on so there are other younger composers now coming through who have those sorts of relationships with the younger producers coming oh, sure, through so of right, course okay. it's a, it's yeah, an age yeah. thing as well yeah yeah so things change of course they do um but yes i've i've not really s stopped writing but I still enjoy it as much as I ever did. But yeah, I applaud all the software that is available oh, to anybody. It's magical stuff. It's it's so uh, yeah. It's again democratizer, isn't it? But as you said, there's there's so many more channels now producing. Yes, um, that's true. Work. I mean, not necessarily top quality work, but there's a lot of work out there if we want it. There's, there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> it could be uh, HBO. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, and finally, if you mm. could, if you could choose your gigs, mm. right? <laughs> what would you what yeah what kind of a film would you choose that's a really tough question Good. really tough question <laughs> i love for me i think television rather than film i mean yeah. obviously the, the holy grail is usually film big oh, I don't know. I don't feature know. film I don't know. but i think people are shifting their 
attention towards high quality television these days. I would really enjoy a a really good sort of TV drama, uh, crime drama, (laughs) you know, be great to do, you know, the the big features as well. Thank you you so much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. David's magical music for some film about minky whales there. I always love in an artistic journey story when someone comes into their craft through an unexpected opportunity that came their way, as David did, and I did too. And I love it when a variety of different trainings come together in a way that's kind of meant to be. I enjoyed hearing from David about the skill of the composer rather than the skill of the computer software. Just about anyone can buy equipment, if only an app, to write music with these days. And anyone can use a single long note to underscore a scene, but it's how that single long note is used. You can really tell the difference when it's in the hands of an empathic genius like Brian Eno and when it's not. Wow, but digital technology has come a long way from the Synclavier, a keyboard costing anything from over 10 grand to well over 100 grand to today when you can write something pretty impressive on your phone if you have a good ear and some imagination. Since I sidled out of the screen composing business years ago, many years ago now, library music has come a long way too. You can often still hear cheapo-sounding, annoying music on TV programmes. Pardon my bugbear, why does this happen when there are such creative, high-quality music libraries these days? It was a revelation that a composer like David works with a library like Slater Nash and how great to be able to work with a high-quality, preformed musical colour palette from a creativity point of view and a collaboration point of view. If you start noticing more of the music soundtracks to all kinds of programmes after listening to this, I hope you'll enjoy doing that. If you enjoyed our chat and you're new to the Emotipod series, There are many other brilliant guests to listen to, so have a scroll through and see what takes your fancy. And please feel free to spread the word with anyone you think might enjoy it. I'll leave you now with a bit more of David's sumptuous work, rich with Vaughan Williams and Delius flavours here, in his soundtrack over English countryside. And until the next and final episode of Emotipod Series 1, Arts and Emotions, Enjoy keeping all your senses open and alive to whatever art makes your life better. (laughs) ¶¶